IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums and we hash out trends. In this episode we respond to letters from you, the IndieCast listener. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. He's my favorite hip-hop spin on psychedelic rock, Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? Yeah, last October, Steve refused to dedicate an episode to I Took the Walk to Poland, but now we're finally getting the Yachty cast that the people have demanded. Yeah, we're talking about Little Yachty here. Not, uh, wait, I said Little Yachty. Yeah. It's Little Yachty. <laughs> we are totally not prepared to do a Yachty cast. <laughs> it would be funny if there was a rapper that just did like the little, you know, because everyone's got the little. Yeah. I'm thinking of like li- Little Brother. Like Little Brother would have been a would have been a rap group that we would have indie casted if this existed in 2006. Yeah, I could see that happening. <laughs> so uh, in the banter segment here, just to kick things off, we're going to talk about the little Yachty record that dropped last week. It's called Let's Start Here. And I have to admit that this record really wasn't on my radar until uh, people were tweeting at us being like, why aren't you talking about Lil Yachty? Because he's got every psychedelic indie dude <laughs> from the last 10 years on this record, right? Like, do you, like, what's the litany? I know, like, the unknown mortal orchestra guys on the record. Yeah, that's like, that, that's like the base level. If you have, like, unknown mortal orchestra, that means you have been paying attention. Underrated band, you know, but uh, I think they got, like, the other guy from Chairlift, like, not Caroline Polachek, <laughs> but, uh, the other guy, I think they've got like Magdalena Bay, which, you know, is a more recent act, but, um, you know, they're still kind of in that realm. I th- Isn't like Alex G on here or something like that? Um, oh, yeah. 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 Alex G's on here. You know, I see this sometimes in, in the indie music uh, discourse circles where there's people that want to start a rivalry between Unknown Mortal Orchestra and, and Tame Impala. Yes. That like... Unknown Mortal Orchestra is, I think, uh, in the minds of some, like the thinking man's modern indie psychedelic. Well, actually, I mean, you have Unknown Mortal Orchestra, but then you've got, if you want to go real deep, then you're going into Dunian yes. area. Yes, oh, oh, absolutely. You know, Dunian is the one. Uh, and I like Dunian, by the way. Um, but, again, there's no mystery why Tame Impala is more popular. Um, they sing in English, for one thing. <laughs> That has and and you know they're writing uh, very catchy songs. Yes. Dunian is more of like head music with like amazing drum sounds, uh, and I say that complimentary because I I love the drum sounds on Dunian records. Uh, but anyway, this little Yachty record, I keep saying little Yachty. <laughs> I, I think I'm gonna start calling him little Yachty. I think that's gonna be my affectation with uh, little Yachty. It's gonna be my bit with him. Um, you got this going in our outline. Yes. Sort of the history of like hip hop engaging with psychedelia, yeah. Because th- there's a long history of this, and yet, similar to like the like the Monoskin conversation we had, like where whenever there's like a a caricature of a rock band that comes out, people have to write the think piece of, about whether rock is back, as if there's not already like a ton of bands like that. There's a similar thing like with hip hop engaging with psychedelia, where anytime it happens. It's like the monolith in 2001. Mm-hmm. Like people are just like amazed that no one has thought of this before. But I mean, this goes back at least 20 years, oh, right? And, and more so. I mean, I, I think back to uh, you know the, my friends in Jewish youth group uh, who weren't listening to like Dave Matthews or Fish. Like they were the exact type of people who would listen to Wu Tang and Nas, but like also Pink Floyd and The Doors. I think that like. I listen to exclusively hip hop, except for maybe a little bit of psych rock and like no other forms of guitar music is definitely a type of guy. I mean, I'm thinking of like Alchemist, you know, a guy who grew up in Beverly Hills. Like he produces like 85% of like the rap records that end up on critics lyrics. And like, he's digging in the crates for like Albanian private press psych rock or whatever. Um, And I mean, that's, that's just like kind of like 97 and like modern day, but like, we're not that far removed from a time when 
like ASAP Rocky was viewed as this visionary because he had like James Blake and Tame Impala on his records. Like, like, like he has the same taste as like basically every single person who went to Coachella in the 2010s. And I mean, for people of our age, we got to bring up a couple records. First of which is Edon's Beauty and the Beat. Like, easily one of the oh man, one of the one one of like my like top three. I cannot believe a best new music review inspired me to pay eighteen dollars for this. This thing fucking sucks. But we got to talk about like the, you oh know. man, it, I you know I haven't listened to that record in a long time. <laughs> I remember having some affection for that back in the day. Was that like two thousand four? I hated that so much. I hated well because. You had that album. You had uh, the common record, Electric, Electric Circus. Circus. Yes. You had Phrenology, the Roots record, which uh, had definitely some psychedelic elements to it. And it's interesting with those two records because I think Questlove was also involved in Electric Circus. Oh yeah. Because he had a quote this week where he was saying that this the the little Yachty record like makes him excited about the future of music. And it just made me laugh a little bit because it's like, oh yeah, hip hop and psychedelia coming together. It was the sound of the future in 2002. Mm. It's the sound of the future in 2023. I mean, to me, what this uh, showcases is what I think is a very obvious truism. You know, we always wanted to split music into genres. This is hip hop. This is rock. This is psychedelia, whatever. The only, I think genre that matters if you're between the ages of 16 and 24 is music to take drugs to (laughs) that's the only genre that people that age really like and that is the unifying thing here that is why you know the the kids you were talking about that you grew up with they're listening to wu-tang and they listen to pink floyd because you can smoke weed to either band and that's the only thing that matters here and that's the unifying thing and like the like the little yachty record it's like clearly like a very kind of druggy sounding record to me and that which is why in a way you know the, the tame and paula comparisons because kevin parker's like one of the only psych rock guys who's not on this album but i see tame and paula comparisons pop up a lot mm. but like tame like tame and paula to me is not a very druggy band mm. you know even though they get called psychedelia like they're like the sober psychedelic band <laughs> You know, because especially as they progress, because, you know, as Kevin Parker becomes more of a tunesmith, right. you know, because like, like this Lil Yachty record, I think, is way vibier than a typical Tame Impala record. Like, there's not a lot of like punchy songs on here. It's like a lot of seven minute, just atmospheric, soundscapey type stuff. Pure vibes. And that's, uh, yeah, and, and like, honestly, Tame Impala doesn't really do that. There's, like, maybe a little bit of that on Inner Speaker, mm-hmm. but Kevin Parker, for the most part, is, like, a tunesmith. Like, he's not going to do, like, the 10-minute just vibe out, no real melody type song. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you mentioned that, like, for, you know, the demographic of 1624, like, you're – you're either you're you're gonna listen to music to take drugs to on the like you're either that or you're like centering your identity about around music to not take drugs to like you're either into that stuff or you're into like hardcore or like things like that. Um, yeah, I think I guess I I didn't hang out with the hardcore kids. I hung out with the drug taking kids. Yeah. so I can't speak to the hardcore thing as much. I mean, they definitely exist, and I mean with this album. <laughs> You know, I, I gave it an honest listen because, like, frankly, I, I, I love how people, you know, aside from, like, the people who think that this is this amazing innovation, this unforetold hybrid of uh, hip-hop and psych rock, you know, there are those people who are easy to make fun of. And then there are the people who are like, you know, this is stolen valor. It's like the same sort of, like, argument people, like, pop punk kids made against Machine Gun Kelly, like... We, we have to be out here defending the honor of, like, Little Dragon or, like, Krangbin or, like, Melody's Echo Chamber. Like, these acts that, like, fill up every single uh, third line in every single, like, uh, you know, music festival. It's like, I'd rather hear Lil Yachty do it than, um, you know, any of those bands. Because, you know, it's going to be, I don't know, at least interesting. I don't think he, he, he takes this seriously, but it's not, you know, it's not like, oh, I need to, like, honor and respect vibey you know psychedelic rock that's good for people to you know take drugs to yeah. at three o'clock in the afternoon at like austin psych fest 
Yeah, I mean, to me, I always find it heartwarming when I see 15-year-olds wearing Dark Side of the Moon t-shirts or Doors t-shirts. Yeah. I feel like that speaks to a desire when you're a certain age to break on through, <laughs> if you were, you know, <laughs> that you want to, like, go to other realms. You want to explore inner space, you know, and I think that's cool. And it's like, you know, you, you know, I've... I, I could be the old guy and, and chide a record like the Lil Yachty record, but there's a part of me who's like, yeah, if I'm if I was 21, you know, and I was unaware of like a lot of this music, mm-hmm. I think it would be mind blowing, and I think it's cool that people are gonna maybe start here and they're gonna go to other places. You see what you did there? I did. That was an <laughs> unintentional play on the album title. That's because I'm so deep in this game yeah. that I can't <laughs> help. Uh, doing puns with album titles. Um, do you want to talk about the Rock Hall nominations quick? Yeah, I do want to talk about how Let's Start Here put like uh, Lil Yachty immediately on the short list. <laughs> right? The, they they were like, we normally say you have to be 25 years after the release yeah. of your first record. I've literally, but... I've literally never heard the combination of psych rock and hip hop. Like Lil Yachty, like we have your own, <laughs> you, we, we got to make our own wing for you. It's like, Brian Wilson, just throw pet sounds in the garbage can. Yeah, what the fuck is we've this? Got a, <laughs> we've got a new standard bear. Lil Yachty's figured out how to combine psychedelic music and hip-hop. Uh, this is the sound of the future. It's been the sound of the future of the past as well, but now it's really the sound of the future. Mm. So we'll put him in the Rock Hall. Uh, no, so we'll talk quickly about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Because uh, this isn't really an indie rock subject, but it's sort of an interesting banter yeah. topic. Because <laughs> uh, the nominees were announced the morning that we're recording here. We're recording on Wednesday morning, uh, February 1st. And uh, I'm a Rock Hall voter, Ian, if you don't know that. Have I said that on this show before? I, Not, I think I have. You, you have said that more than once. I don't know. I don't think you're trying to stun on me in any way, but uh, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm just saying that, like, I look at this list and uh, I have to say that this is like a great class of nominees. And I feel bad because I know I'm going to end up not voting for people that I would have voted for in other years. So you have Kate Bush, who's been nominated like the last several years. Yeah, she doesn't get on this year, boy. Yeah. She, that seems like a lock. You have Cheryl Crow. You have Missy Elliott, Iron Maiden, Joy Division slash New Order. So they're treating that as one band. <laughs> Is that the first which, time they've way, done that? Um, I don't know. It seems... I mean, it makes sense that if you would put one in, you should put the other in. Uh, anyway, Cindy Lauper, George Michael, Willie Nelson. He's not in? Well, they're just now putting in all of these country icons i feel like i mean cash johnny cash has been in but you know they just put dolly parton in right uh so i i feel like this is following that up uh rage against the machine another long time nominee Soundgarden, ah. uh the spinners okay great soul yeah. group from the 70s a tribe called quest the white stripes and my personal favorite although i suspect he's gonna get the least amount of votes warren zevon um there's really no duds here, I don't think. You know, there's there's people that I think are more qualified than others, but sometimes you get these these classes and you're like, eh, no, I'm not that excited about that person. I feel like I would vote for like 90% of these people, but you only get to vote for five of them. Uh, like, do, do you know what, like, 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 I don't know if you remember everyone I just said, like, if you had a vote, like, like who would be the locks for you? Well... Do you have any locks? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would put... Tribe Called Quest is not like not my favorite hip hop group. Um, that's another story, but you know they should be in. And I think that uh, I mean Kate Bush, like Missy Elliott, like uh, just an unimpeachable early run. Um, but you know then you get into the conversations about like what's rock and roll, whatever. Soundgarden, I just like Soundgarden a lot. Like they're my favorite band of this group, but. I, I do want to, like, I would vote definitely for Joy Division New Order, if only because I love this precedent that it sets. Like, by putting them together, which is sensible, like, it, it, this implies, like, Atrocity Exhibition and Rock the Shack are, like, the product of the same group. Like, it, does that mean, like, I don't, I, I don't think Wu-Tang is in there, but 
Like, I would love to see Grave Diggers or, like, you know, Black Knights or, like, these, these like, all these, like, minor-ass, like, Wu-Tang side projects being, like, grandfathered into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame just because they spun out of uh, Wu-Tang. Or, like, I retroactively, mean... like, Beatles and Wings, if Wings isn't already in there. I mean, you're pulling Rock the Shack out for comedic purposes, <laughs> which I can respect, but, like... Early Joy Division, I'm sorry, early New Order. Oh, that shit rules. Like, bleeds pretty, like, cleanly into Joy Division. I mean, they're basically, like, that first uh, New Order record is basically a Joy Division record that, like, mm-hmm. Bernard Sumner is singing on. And then they get poppier and poppier as the decade goes on. And, I mean, 80s New Order, I think, is great. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I would put, I mean, in a way, I, I like putting it together because I would vote for each band individually. Mm-hmm. Like when when I look at this list, that one jumps out to me immediately as something okay. I'm gonna have a hard time not voting for that. Soundgarden, I want to vote for just because there's so many '90s bands that are not in. I they've been so slow mm-hmm. to do like alternative rock and indie rock that I just want to. I feel like once you get one in, it gets easier to put other ones in. I've voted for Iron Maiden in the past because there's so few metal bands. Yeah. In the Hall of Fame, and like Iron Maiden, obviously a foundational band. Warren Zevon, I have to vote for because he's my guy, and no one else is going to vote for him. Like, I feel very pessimistic that he has a chance, uh, up, you know, going up against the Kate Bushes and even like Cheryl Crow. I think she's going to have like a lot of people in her favor. Um, I mean, I love George Michael. Yeah. He's great. I'd love to vote for George Faith Michael. He was the first cassette. Uh, I ever owned my parents bought that for me when I must have been seven or eight and boy <laughs> I, I I don't think they read a lot of sub I mean there's a that is not a record a seven or eight year old person should have I know but I I mean I had it when I wasn't much older than that yeah. and I mean that's like one of the greatest pop oh, it's, albums it's fucking awesome made. it's like it's incredible um so yeah I don't know this is gonna be a tough one is there is there a limit uh, but, to the amount of people who can get in any given year, or is it like all of these artists like have a chance to get in? I mean, you you only get to vote for five, so I feel like that limits how many people can probably get it. But I don't think there's like a, oh, we can only put in five people. Gotcha. You know, um, if there's an, you know, I, I don't really know what the threshold is in terms of getting in. If you have to have a certain number or, or whatever the case is there. I don't know. This is still a very opaque, <laughs> uh, organization. Uh, but anyway, if there's any other voters out there, please vote for Warren Zevon because we're, it's going to be a lonely group. I, I'm afraid, but he's great. And, uh, it would help him a lot. Um, should we talk about Tom Verlaine yeah, quick? Speaking of hall of famers. Yeah. Although he's not in the hall of fame. I don't, no. think. I don't think television's in. Uh, which they should be. Tom Verlaine, the great guitarist and singer and songwriter from the band Television, passed away this week at the age of, of 73. I was thinking about this. Was the band called Television because his initials are TV? <laughs> is Tom Verlaine his real name, though? It's not, but still, <laughs> like, I wonder, because that, that's something I thought about tweeting. But I was like, is this one of those things that's so obvious to everybody that I would sound stupid saying That is it? literally the first time I've thought of that, so. Okay, because I wonder if there's some connection there. But, uh, again, television, one of the great bands of the uh, punk era. Uh, Marquee Moon, one of the best debut albums of all time. I really love television for many reasons. One of the things I, I, I appreciate about them is that they are a product of an era where punk music was more of a sensibility and not a like a codified sound. Mm. You know, like you you could sound like television, you could sound like the Talking Heads, you could sound like Patti Smith and you or or Blondie and you could be considered punk and it wasn't just sounding like the Ramones, <laughs> which is what it became over time. Yeah. You know, in television like they're a band with like long guitar solos and 10-minute songs and yeah, the little yachty of their know, time. <laughs> that's right that's what all the obit writers were saying this week about tom verlaine he was the uh lil yachty of the 1970s uh i'm curious if like ian because i'm always like you are 
into some 70s stuff, you're not into other 70s stuff. Like, was television ever a band that entered your consciousness? Yeah, just say that, like, Ian, sometimes I wonder if you've listened to any music made before 1993. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, like, television is one of those formative listening experiences. Not like, you know, hearing OK Computer in high school or what have you, where it, like, changes the way I, like, see music. But uh, they're a band that, you know, I'm sure like many people our age, um, you know, discovered from looking at like best of the 70s lists in my early 20s. And, you know, I heard Marquee Moon. And it's like, oh, wait, this is as good as everybody says it is. And moreover, it explains a lot of why music from New York sounds the way it does. Um, yeah, I listened to it the other day. I mean, it's 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 timeless. Like it's it's really impossible to imitate. Um, and, you know, I haven't dove into the rest of television's records like i'm pretty much i've listened to marquee moon and you know that's really about it um and it was cool to like have a situation where you know all the tributes all the obituaries were like yeah this band unimpeachable they they were cool shit no notes um you know it's it was it was a bit of a contrast with like david crosby where it was like yeah i don't know how i feel about this guy incredible poster great voice you know tom verlaine yeah. was just like this guy was like born cool he was in a cool band and he was like always cool the, he, the guy never had an uncool day in his life yeah and you you make a good point about how you know sometimes you you dig into uh like these canonical lists and uh for whatever reason albums that get really hyped over time it's almost like the hype ruins them because they've been built up so much where they, they can't just be a record mm -hmm. they have to be like one of the greatest records of all time and if you're coming at it after the fact it can just be hard to set that baggage aside. And I think a record like Marquee Moon, it is a tremendously important record, but there's also something about it that is, I think, pretty approachable, mm -hmm. where it's not, um, it doesn't feel self-important. You know, it feels like a really great band going into the studio and just playing like, I think it's, I think there's eight songs on that record. Yeah. Maybe. Something like that, and they're just and they're, and they're just really good songs. Like there's there's an element to, to that record where you could imagine a band today putting out a record like that that sounded like that, but it, this would just be like the greatest ever example. Like I feel like there's every year there's a band that's trying to make <laughs> that version, like right. their version of that record, and uh, they don't ever quite pull it off because it's a very lofty standard. Um, it's funny because this week we did have. A minor ker kerfuffle on Twitter where Anton Newcomb... <laughs> can, we, can we... Okay, I was about to say, can you explain to our listeners who this guy is? Anton Newcomb, who is the uh, lead singer of uh, the Brian Jonestown Massacre, which is a psych rock band from uh, California. Yeah. And I wonder what he thinks about Lil Yachty's album. Like, oh my God, they're oh, going to knock us down a peg when we play Levitation next year. Fuck. Um I have some love for Brian Jonestown Massacre. I think that their two-disc anthology is like a great, greatest hits album. And, uh, you know, I do have a garage rock strain in my uh, in my past. So I have a lot of love for that album. And I love the documentary Dig. Incredible documentary. Uh, which is one of the greatest rock documentaries of all time. But anyway, he went on Twitter and... I guess as a way to pay tribute to Tom Verlaine, he took a shot at the Strokes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was where, awesome. <laughs> where he was like, oh, I noticed that the Strokes haven't done like the RIP tweet for Tom Verlaine, which is sad because they've ripped off television Yeah, you know, for, for their career. And it's like, oh, we're still doing this with the Strokes. Uh -huh. like, we're, we're still doing the thing where we're calling them rich kids that ripped off television. Where... I don't think they actually sound like television, really. And I don't like. It's like if you know anything about Julian Casablancas and Albert Hammond Jr., you knew that, like, you know that they grew up listening to like Pearl Jam. Yeah, like, that was their favorite <laughs> band as teenagers. Like they weren't listening to cool New York rock. That's just something that music writers who lived in New York in two thousand one projected onto the Strokes because they wanted to pretend that it was nineteen seventy seven. You know, which do New York music writers still? like to pretend that it's like 1977 in New York. I, I feel like that era is kind of past. I feel like that that era like where, where, where anything that happens in New York uh -huh. is important because <laughs> it's in New York. Yeah. 
like the two eighty, like the two eighty five Kent. Oh man, thing. we're we're we're, that we're was, like we're heading into like the ten year anniversary of two eighty five Kent closing down. That was that was the end of that. I feel like I there hasn't been anything like that since, and it's because New York is way too expensive for bands to live in now. Yeah. Like it's, it seems impossible for there to ever be that kind of music scene again. But you know, you and I, we've been in the game for a while. We remember the era where. Anything remotely noteworthy happening in New York would just be blown way out of proportion because it was in New York and it was like, we're going to cosplay CBGBs Mm -hmm. in 1977. Many were saying that like, you know, Dive and Perfect Pussy were like the Blondie and television of, you know, the 2010s because they came out of like Kent 285. Many people. One of those bands is great. Yeah. One of those bands is really great. I, I like that first, per- well, the only Perfect Pussy record. And you know what? Shout to them. Like, they put, like, I think they, didn't they put, like, 10 minutes of, like, ambient noise jams on the, just so they could, like, fulfill their contract of making a record? I, I think that's cool. And the same way, I also think it's cool that, like, Anton Newcomb, like, just harboring this grudge for 20 years and just finding, like, yes, this is the time for me to do that. Like, also, that guy, that guy's from, like, Newport Beach originally. I don't think he has any leg to stand on as far as privilege goes. Well, and anyway, I, I hope that this is a precursor to Dig Part 2. Oh, please. Uh, Anton Newcomb. Well, he's not going to have a few with the Strokes because the Strokes don't care. But maybe just Anton Newcomb posting. Yeah. Like, about other rock yeah, bands. Yeah, the, the past 20 years of Brian Jonestown Massacre beef just all getting aired out. And like, it, it's just gonna, it, Dig 2 is gonna be like one of those, um, like one of those things where like a guy films a YouTube in his car while driving. It's just gonna be that for like three hours. Like him talking about like how he thinks like Tame and Paula are for assholes and, you know, like Unknown Mortal <laughs> Orchestra or like Frauds too. Like Anton Newcomb, right. he's just got a lot of beefs, man. So it's going to be a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why we can't have ever, there's no documentaries in the future. It's all just going to be podcasts. Um, let's get to our mailbag here. And man, we went long on the banter. Yeah, but that was good banter. It was good banter. And, and, and the mailbag is the meat. Yes. So we're under a half hour right now. Uh, well under. I think we're about four minutes under or so. So good on us. Mm-hmm. Um, this first letter is not a question, <laughs> but I put it in the uh, mailbag because I feel like we're going to break some news with this letter. Uh, so do you want to read this one? Yeah. So this comes from Ryan from Beaufort, South Carolina. And this is, uh, this is a callback to uh, our previous episode. Uh, first off, Ryan says, great pod. I agree. Uh, Ian is 100% correct, again, also agree, uh, on Interpol being secretly fit. My brother-in-law is their touring bassist. Those guys are all sober. They are into hot yoga. Paul and my brother-in-law will go boxing. He's referring to Paul Banks. Uh, all in great shape, especially for their age. Yeah, this, this, uh, this is breaking news right here. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Thank you, Ryan, for writing in. So, again, we had this conversation uh, sparked by a letter in our mailbag asking us, you know, what bands work out the most, what bands work out the least, speculating on this. And you you said something about how you 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 assume that Interpol that those guys are probably secretly fit. Yeah, well actually that was like our that was the the the, the mailbag letter itself. It's like that that guy oh. speculated. And I'm like, yeah, you know, like based on like the uh Trent Reznor uh career trajectory, I bet those guys are sober. And you know, like you see them you know, performing live. And I mean, with the kind of scenes that Interpol like runs in where, you know, it's like kind of that, you know, cure sort of like quasi goth. Like if you don't like maintain yourself in that, in that realm, like you're going to look, it it, get, it can get bad pretty quickly. So I think that they kind of saw that as they, they've always been ambitious, career minded. And I think that investing in their uh, health has been, you know, as important, if not more so, to their longevity than, you know, making good records. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because they've always, like, looked good. Yeah. They're, they're looking stylish. They're not going to, you know, get the dad bod. You know, they got to keep it fit, keep it high and tight. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking that uh, some of the lines in this letter could be Interpol lyrics. Like, <laughs> those guys are all sober. They're into hot yoga. I, 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 I think that. I have a better Paul Banks voice than you do. I got the lower, I got well, the lower register. 
Well, put your money where your mouth is. Let's hear it. Uh, no. <laughs> See, all right, all right. Well, then I win. I win automatically. Uh, um, I can't, yeah, I can't perform on cue. I need to get like I need to get in my zone. I need to be in the recording booth. I can't freestyle. Well, you know what? Like the lights <laughs> are on right now, man. Oh, you know the people. The people are waiting. Um, I love this letter, and it just makes me feel like we need to cultivate a network of brother-in-laws <laughs> or brothers-in-law out there who are connected to indie rock bands that can give us the inside scoop. Like, is there a brother-in-law of, like, the drummer and car seat headrest? <laughs> are you out there? Is, like, Or is, does Phoebe Bridgers have a brother-in-law? You know, we need a network of brothers-in-law correspondents who can tell us what's going on in these bands. They can tell us who's doing hot yoga, who is maybe eating a few too many Doritos in a particular Not month. There's anything wrong with that. Not there's anything wrong with that, but again, we're just, this is like the kind of reporting that I think can really bring this podcast to the next level. Yeah. You know, we're, there, there's only so many national, uh, and, and Jack White albums that come out in any given year. We need to like get more into kind of, uh, you know, wellness cast. That's really where the yeah, money or, is. Wellness. Or brother-in-law cast. Yeah, brother-in-law we'll wellness just, cast. Well, brother-in-law confessions are here. <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be great. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for that letter. Let's get to our next letter. This comes from JD in Narberth, Pennsylvania. Hell yeah. Narberth? Narberth. So that's, that is about 20 minutes from where I grew up, uh, you know, around Balakinwood, Maniunk, the whole main line. Shout out to y'all. Wow. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Eagles in the Super Bowl. Yeah. I got to tell you, uh, I can't cheer for the Eagles. I, I hate to say that. I, I feel like I'll, I'm going to anger a lot of our listeners by saying this, but uh, I don't know. I'm going, I'm going Chiefs. I want to see Patrick Mahomes win another Super Bowl. Is, is this creating a rift? Not really. I'm, I, like, I'm like weirdly not jaded, but I'm like, okay, cool. You know, they made the Super Bowl. That's cool. Not because like, oh, that's like unremarkable. It's still going to be awesome. But I think the first time, like the circumstances around them winning the first Super Bowl are are so magical that like anything afterwards can't help but feel a little bit tame by comparison. You know, we're not like yeah, beating Pat Mahomes on like one leg is not like having Nick Foles beat Tom Brady. Like not nothing can fucking top that. I know, and like you beat Daniel Jones and you beat like Brock Purdy, <laughs> yeah. couldn't even throw a ball. Yeah. You know, I mean, no offense, yeah, Eagles the, fans. Yeah. I don't need like a dozen Go Birds emails in my box here. I'm just saying, you didn't beat anybody to get to this point. I'm a little skeptical about how you're going to do in the Super Bowl, but you know we'll see what happens. We will see what happens. My, and look, my team is terrible, so I have nothing. I have no leg to stand on. My, my and my quarterback's going to be in playing for the Jets in any any minute now. So you have plenty of ammo to shoot against me. But I'm just saying, I got to go for the Chiefs this year. All right, so that was our sports cast <laughs> episode. We'll go back to IndieCast now. Um, hi, Stephen Ian, big fan of the show. I like that we're leaving the praise yes. in our in our emails. It's, a lot of times we cut the praise out, but we're going to leave the praise in here uh, for our mailbag. Uh, I've been listening to John Cale's new album, Mercy, which is a very good record. And while I'm not sure how I currently feel about it, I think it'll eventually be considered a late-era masterpiece, or at least a very interesting Latter-day creation. In that way, it reminds me of Rough and Rowdy Ways by Bob Dylan, Black Star by David Bowie, You Want It Darker by Leonard Cohen, and Lulu by Lou Reed. A deeply misunderstood and underrated album, in my opinion. JD, I'm with you <laughs> on that. Defen I I've defended Lulu. Uh, are there any younger indie artists or groups that you could see releasing an album in their 70s or 80s that would be that would rival their strongest albums in the catalog? Conversely, in the state of the music industry, are there even the right conditions for more contemporary artists to follow in the steps of people like John Cale and Bob Dylan? Thanks for all the great conversations and recommendation, JD. So he's asking, who today is going to be making weird and cool records in their 70s and 80s? So I, I love the optimism inherent in this uh, conversation because this assumes that like the music industry and albums will still exist in 2050. But oh, they will! I know, Come I on, know, I know you gotta like. Come you, on, you, it, it, it's a hack joke, but whatever, you gotta do it. Um, All you right. play to the cheap seats. So um, yeah, with 
with the people that uh, JD mentioned, you know, John Cale, Bob Dylan, David Bowie, Leonard Cohen, it, it seems that like when you're thinking about this, you can take two routes. Like the first is the David Bowie route where it's like artists who are very, very popular already and are, you know, shown capable, shown capability to like shape shift with whatever trends without embarrassing themselves. And then there are the artists who like Leonard Cohen, like kind of already sound pretty old, even when they're young. I think Bob Dylan's kind of the the middle path with those things. Um, And I would say that like, in that vein, I'm interested to see like what D'Angelo or Frank Ocean will do if they, you know, continue to make music in their 70s. Like maybe that's when they'll finally drop the follow up to Black Messiah or Blonde. Um, as far as like in the A category, if Ezra Koenig from Vampire Weekend decides to continue making music, I think he'll be someone who does interesting things with you know, whatever, like incorporating trends in a way that is not going to be embarrassing. Like maybe like kind of a Paul Simon uh, sort of route. But overall, like with the artists that were mentioned, you know, like Lulu, Blackstar, You Want It Darker. Like, I mean, Blackstar and You Want It Darker are like the albums that those two artists made and then like they died a couple months later. Um, And I think there's always this expectation with artists in their 60s and 70s that they have to make these like meditations on like, you know, mortality and things like that. It's all pretty like, you know, for, you know, I got to say that kind of masculine coding, which makes me interested to see like uh, what happens when, you know, a lot of the artists who are popular nowadays, many of whom are female, like when they get to that age, like whether there's still going to be the expectation that they're going to make the, you know, the Rick Rubin style, stripped down like vocals are like an octave lower like real grainy and gritty thoughts about what it all means yeah i mean and this is piggybacking a little bit on what you just talked about i mean i think the simple answer here is singer songwriters you know they're the ones who age the best like it's unlikely that turnstile is going to be playing hardcore shows in their 70s not saying it won't happen because modern medicine (laughs) modern medicine is always improving and you know, they might still be in great shape in their 70s. Um, but you you can see it with, like, a lot of people who are in bands where they start to transition into, again, more of a singer-songwriter type lane. Like, I'm thinking about Alex Turner. Right. Of Arctic Monkeys is the most obvious example of that, where, you know, he's doing a lot of these croonery, droll-type albums where... It's technically an Arctic Monkeys record, but it feels more like a solo album. And it's the kind of music that you can imagine him playing when he's in his 70s. You know, like a song from Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino might translate better than something from like AM at that age. Right. And I I mean, I feel like I can easily see someone like Lucy Dacus writing observational low-key songs about her life in her 60s and 70s and assuming that she still has an audience that she's maintained for that amount of time which there's no guarantee of that but i also feel like an artist like that feels uh almost predisposed to cultivating that kind of following yeah i could easily see that i could see lana del rey yes (laughs) aging into like a leonard cohen type figure where you know she's making like these spooky cool records that like you want like an older person to make like very cinematic sounding. Like that seems like something that she could totally pull off, uh, you know, as she gets into her senior years. Um, so it, I'm sure like Fiona Apple, yeah, another artist, Joanna Newsom she's gonna, as well. If, if she decides yeah. to continue making music. Yeah. Again, I, I think that if, you're say Maddie Healy. You can't be eating raw meat and touching yourself in your seventies. You like can. he's got. Well, we'll see yeah. what happens, but I feel like he's going to need an Alex Turner type pivot at some yeah. point. You know, again, just people that make music based on of the moment trends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can continue to shape shift, but even David Bowie at the end of his career, you know, the record before Black Star was the next day which was an album where he essentially revisited a lot of his former guises. Ah. You know, and Black Star was, I think, a pretty radical departure, but, like, 
it wasn't radical in the sense of like sounding like modern pop music. Right. It was still something that was its own thing. And he also um, had like a a lot of years where he just made like not good music. <laughs> Or not music at all. Yeah. I mean, he had like a long break between, uh, you know, there was like a nine-year break, I think, between uh, the next day and the previous record, which I think was reality. Yeah. Uh, was the one before that. Um, we're, we're forgetting the obvious answer of who's going to continue to make shape-shifting, uh, paradigm-changing music in their 70s. And the answer to that, of course, is Lil Yachty. So. Yeah, Lil Yachty, who, you know, in 2050 will... Make the sound of the future by combining hip hop and psychedelia. <laughs> Let's start here. Finally, too. <laughs> finally, someone will do that again in uh, in, in twenty fifty. Um, you want to get to our next letter? Yes, I do. So this uh, comes from Patrick from nowhere near Wrigley Field or the Bean, Chicago, Illinois. So you know, Patrick is real deal Chicago. You know, like I'm thinking, you know, like the Bear. Patrick is uh, working in a kitchen, listening to uh, Wilco Kid Smoke. Uh, re- that real Chicago. He's probably the guy who's complaining about the yeah, bear. exactly <laughs> on, on social media. You know. Like all the all the Chicago people who are like, "Well, this is just a suburban version of Chicago." It's like, yeah, no one cares. Yeah. Okay, we don't live there. Yeah. It's close enough. Like, get over yourself. You're not. You know, you're not New York. It's fine. You're damn right we're not in New York. I can't do a Chicago accent. I figure that's like your realm, given that like you're our Midwest correspondent. But I know I'm, I'm taking shot. I'm taking shots at like New York, Philadelphia, and Chicago. Yeah. I'm, I'm angering the, the coastal elites. <laughs> is what we do here. I'm sorry. Like Chicago, it's a sports related. Uh, to go briefly, the sports cast. I have to take shots at Chicago just because of being from Wisconsin and the animus that exists there. Yeah. But anyway, right. pivot back out of sports cast. We'll go back in the indie cast. Right you want to read this letter? All right. Hello, Stephen and Ian. I love the pod. I, I sense a theme with this mailbag. Um, whether it was the bloated nostalgia festival lineups or shitty documentaries inspired by excellent books, much was made of the indie sleaze revival in 2022. I mean, like, you know, much was made, but I don't know if it was an actual thing. One band that hasn't capitalized on this is TV on the radio. Were they to come back, what level of hype would they receive? They will inevitably be, inevitably be celebrating 20th anniversaries for their best albums in the next few years. Are they above uh, the comebacks? Interesting to hear your take on this band for 2023 and beyond. P.S. Meet Me in the Bathroom doc was truly horrible. The only mention of TV on the radio was them getting gentrified out of Williamsburg, and they ignored liars almost entirely. Also, the Moldy Peaches and the Rapture are two of the worst bands to ever exist. Okay, like, <laughs> gee. Patrick dropping bombs. You know, the Rapture, uh, they have House of Jealous Love. Yeah, you can't you, take that that's like the one. Like, I don't care if they made no other music. Like, Echoes kind of whips. Uh, the set, the next record's pretty good as well. They're they're just like a great kind of himbo dance punk band. Like, we need the himbos. Yeah, you know, Moldy Peaches, I agree. Yeah, Way too much Moldy Peaches in that in that movie. Uh, I've heard a lot of people uh, disparage that documentary. I, I was entertained by it. I guess I liked the footage. I understand um, the criticisms of it. I mean, I think it was, it was simultaneously overstuffed and also too short. You know, like where there was stuff in there where you're like, Again, too much moldy peaches in here. But then the stuff that you really want to know about, it felt like, oh, they could have gone deeper into it. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's the problem with like a lot of two-hour documentaries mm-hmm. that in the modern day, like where we're we're so used to like multi-part films that I think it's as hard to be satisfied with a two-hour film. Anyway, we're getting off topic here. TV on the radio. Um, what kind of reception would it come back? If they decide to come back, like what would that get? It's interesting that Patrick is framing this in terms of the indie sleaze revival, which was that really a thing? I feel like there was like a think yeah, piece in New York magazine. Exactly. This is like and, it's it's like a fraction of like what Kent two eighty five drummed up. It's you know, like I, I really think they wanted it or like a few people wanted it to happen and like there was just no yeah, real evidence are, behind it. Yeah, there was a lot of like actualization going on with that that didn't really take hold. Uffy, I mean, Uffy, we have not, we have yet to hear from Uffy on the matter. It's not indie sleaze. Um, but like TV on the radio, I would say was like maybe the least sleazy band. Yeah. 
of of that era. Like, the, like I don't really associate anything sleazy with TV on the radio. They were a band to circle back to the television conversation, and not just because it's TV and television. Yeah. But I think I think TV on the radio musically has the most in common with that original wave of New York punk from the mid seventies. Because again, they were such a unique band that didn't conform to like what the cliches of like what New York punk or post-punk music is supposed to be like and i say this as someone who loves the strokes and interpol but you know clearly they were wearing costumes to some degree they were recreating something uh that already existed and they were also more rock and rollish in terms of how they carried themselves like there was you know they were bands to take drugs to and to drink (laughs) a lot of like, you know, alcohol too. And I don't really associate TV on the radio with that. They were more of like an adventurous, yeah, they were, already yeah, experimental. They yeah. And, you know, they're the kind of band that I think if they announced a comeback, I know I would be excited. I'm sure a lot of music critics would be excited. They would get a lot of coverage. Um, You know, wouldn't be as major as some of the other bands from that scene. But I think they're always going to have the most credibility from that scene if that makes sense yeah um they def they all the reason that they weren't like really like benefited from that wave in a way is that they kind of held themselves not above it all like patrick mentions but sort of outside of it one of the things that immediately struck me in the meet me in the bathroom book where they do play a bigger role is that they were talking (laughs) those guys were talking about like how they never really felt like cool and they like were never getting any girls like the other bands it's like god damn man you're in tv on the radio you know like if you're not feeling cool and you're in tv on the radio i mean i don't know what chance the rest of us have but you know i think that you're right in that the strokes, the Interpol, like intentionally or unintentionally, and even LCD sound system and the rapture for that matter. Um, they were like really a social music. They were, they were music that was like pretty easy to understand on a physical level. Whereas the reputation, even back when they were like winning Paz and job with every album they dropped, like TV on the radio was seen as like this cerebral kind of at times, emotionally impenetrable sort of band. Um, and I think they kind of played that up a bit and, you know, as far as, like, how they would be received if they had come back, I mean, like we were talking about before, um, you know, like, a lot of bands nowadays, like, uh, like a lot of, like, black artists who play, like, rock music, you know, like, I know that, like, you know, Barty Strange in particular has talked about, like, how seeing um, TV on the radio playing late night shows is, like, a really transformative experience for them, Um and, you know, if they were to come back right now, I think it would be very well received, but like how popular it would be, you know, that room, I'm not so sure about that because I don't know, like, I, I feel like, you know, they, they would maybe play the same venue that the national is in your town, you know, like it's, they're not a band that you will see. I mean, you see kids these days, like wearing strokes, t-shirts or, if you're into Interpol, like if you decide you're into Interpol, like that is your personality. And it's really tough to craft a personality around TV on the radio in the same way that you can with those bands or even LCD sound system for that matter. Um, I, I mean, I think the personality is that like I have good taste. Yeah. And, you know? yeah. So, so if, if you like TV on the radio, that that's, and look again, they're a great band. They're, they're great live band oh, too. Excellent. Like if they were, if they went on tour, I would, I would see them in a heartbeat. So, I hope they come back. I, but again, I I think that they're they're separate from there just because they're not as tied to reviving something as those other bands were. You know, that 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 post 9/11 moment in New York like where it seemed like the whole point was to evoke like a 20th century version in this confusing 21st century context. TV and the radio didn't do that. They were actually pushing forward. Mm-hmm which I think is admirable for them, and it's what makes those records so cool. Uh, so, yeah, I hope they come back. They're a great band. Yeah, maybe they just make you, a new it, record at the very least. I don't need to see them live, man. Although it would be cool to see, like, how many like how many wind chimes Dave Sytek could, like, attach to his guitar. Like, it's always funny to, like, watch that band because, like, everyone's, like, rocking out, and then you have, like, this producer kind of mad wizard doing just like bizarre stuff with his guitar and it's like i don't even know if that stuff's mic'd but yeah tv on the radio great band 
could really use a new record from them. I'm sure it would be good. Dave Sytek, is he the thinking man's uh, Tom Morello, would you say? Like, in terms of modern yeah, sort where, of experimental... Where, where was he on the Monskin record, man? Yeah, exactly. Um, let's get to our last letter. Uh, and, oh man, I think I cut off who wrote this. Oh, shoot. It's cr- no, that was... Is that is that Chris? It's his name. Chris, yeah. Chris, yeah. Yeah, this comes from Chris. Chris, I don't think he said where he was from. So, Chris, just universal Chris. Yeah, let's just say that you are in Milwaukee, Chris. We'll pretend that you're in Milwaukee. Um, Hi, Stephen Ian. Got introduced to the podcast recently by my buddies Zach and Drew. Hey, Zach and Drew. Shout out to you guys. Uh, who have written into the show before, okay? We have fun talking about IndieCast every week. I love it. Love it. Bringing the, the, the dudes together. Do you guys have any opinions on the best places where people discuss music online? A lot of recent IndieCast discussion points come from Twitter takes, but I'd be really surprised if Twitter is the best place for quality discussion. Do you have opinions on sites like Rate Your Music, uh, IndieHeads, etc.? I wasn't sure if you guys lurked on other sites to see other people's takes or if a lot of observation is focused on Twitter. So where do we go for music conversation, Ian? (laughs) Are you lurking on any of these message boards? Yeah, I mean, as far as like discussing music online, I feel like, you know, that peaked for me in 2005 when I was on Blogspot and I could tailor my feed to only cover like Dipset, Drive-By Truckers and college football. But You know, I think Chris is mentioning mostly message boards and, you know, my experience personally on those is that um, as fun as they are when they start, they always obey the law of thermodynamics and like eventually like the loudest, most frequent posters take over and like ruin it for everyone. And then, you know, you either cannot fucking deal with that person anymore or, you know, if I'm being honest, like I am that person sometimes. (laughs) I'm trying to get better. But, you know, as far like I I think we have to make a distinction between discussing music and, you know, like you like Chris mentioned, like lurking, Um, because, you know, when I'm, you know, when when I'm trying to get inspired and like find new stuff to listen to. Um, you know, I might go to chorus.fm. Like that's a that's a place where I see emo and like pop punk stuff being discussed and like people very earnestly talking about like how the last Menzinger record is like one of their five favorites of all time. And uh, you know, but then that gets into like discussions about like, I don't know, maybe someone's like a little too forceful about trying to revive brand new. Like rate your music, I think I can get some interesting recommendations, but that tends to lean a bit too much towards like black metal and black midi. Um, And if we're being real, I still think that like Twitter is the best we're going to do. But actually, no, Twitter is not the best we can do. Like here, here's my little secret. Like the, if you really want to have like quality discussions, uh, what you need to do is find the four people, like four people you really trust on Twitter and get them in a group DM. Like, that is the best of both worlds. Uh, you know, you'll get your hot takes off to people who, you know, feel kind of the same way that you do. But you also won't ruin your life by, like, thinking, oh, my God, is someone going to, like, dox these opinions? Because I, I I don't know about you, Steve. Like, I don't, <laughs> as ironic as this sounds, like, I don't really like t- discussing music anymore. <laughs> In a public setting. Yeah, I definitely don't like arguing about music, it, which I yeah. feel like is is the backbone of, of message boards, like where someone says, I think MJ Lenderman is great. No, I think he sucks. And then you're going to like try to convince the other person over, you know, like while posting at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I mean, that just seems like the biggest waste of, of time to me in the world. I have to say that, yeah, just in general, like I like talking with people who are like-minded like we're we're generally on the same page like oh you like jam bands and i like jam bands too so we don't have to like argue about whether this is even worthy of talking about and then we can have like maybe minor differences in opinion or something but for the most part like i just like want to celebrate s- stuff with people i don't want to like get into a debate it, it just seems like the most tiresome uh thing imaginable um but uh yeah i mean i think the nice thing about twitter is that you do get to pick who you follow, even like with this horrible for you 
speed that they <laughs> yeah. default you into, which you always have to switch out of that because you'll see like literally the people you hate the most all of a sudden showing up in your feed. It's like I like following people whose taste I trust, and if they're tweeting about something that I think I'd be interested in, you know, that's a great way for me to like learn about records more so than going into a message board situation, which. I always feel like it's like walking into a bar where everyone is already drunk and they want to have a fight. <laughs> like, they, you know, they've already got the beer bottle broken and they're like lunging at your throat as soon as you walk in the door. Uh, and it just seems like a like a horrible uh, situation. So, yeah, I don't even like lurk really in a lot of those places. Um Unless they're making fun of, like, you or I. Then I'll go <laughs> yeah. in and go. Which, yeah, that, it's like, oh, fuck, man. This kind, this kind of ruined my fucking day, you know? Like, I mean, that's just, like, kind of the uh, the cost of doing business. If you, like, want to find out about the latest guitar fight from Cooley Fool EP. Like, you find out, like, someone, like, like hates the fact that, like, you wrote a bad review about, uh, I don't know, the Gaslight Anthem back in 2014. <laughs> Yeah, it is wild to go on indie heads, and occasionally you're just reading a thread, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's my name. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, th- this person's not a fan. All right. Like, it's, it is it is like a slightly surreal. It's like when the TV starts talking to you directly. You don't really expect to see that, but <laughs> it's uh, pretty trippy. We've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Ian, why don't you go first? Yeah, so, you know, one of the themes of the previous mailbag question is that um, I not so secretly wish we could all go back to 2005. Um, and one of the records that was one of my favorites from uh, that year, IndieCast Hall of Famer first ballot, is uh, Lady Tron's The Witching Hour. Um Interesting, interesting history with that band where like they've released quite a few records. They were part of the Electro Clash mini uh, mini craze in the early 2000s in New York. Um, the Witching Hour is like the only one I like. It's kind of rare where you get like you like the band's like third or fourth album, but like none of the others. And I've really been looking for a band that can do something like that, like basically arena rock Depeche Mode with female vocals. Sometimes Crystal Castles hit that. Um, but uh, what I discovered with their new record, Time's Arrow, is that uh, I like when Lady Tron does, tries to do the witching hour. Um, you know, it's uh, it's still a pretty good, some, I can't pronounce the word, Samula Crumb or what. You, you know the word if you've read music <laughs> criticism. I really put myself in a position. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not in a way that's like kind of desperate in terms of like trying to rehash their, you know, their, their, their best era but um it does kind of capture that music in a way that i find like very low stakes enjoyable like will it make my top 50 at the end of the year i don't know but will i listen to it more than like most records that do make my top 20 probably so if you're feeling a little washed but like you're also the type of person who you know liked interpol in 20 in 2002 and like try to get in shape now like this is like Lady Tron's like kind of get fit and sober album if 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 we want to like bring things full circle. So the record I'm going to talk about today is called Dead Meat and it's by a band from England called The Tubs and this record dropped last week and it immediately became my favorite album of January 2023. And this is a record that uh the easiest way to describe it would be as like a jangle rock record. Like I've seen people compare it to uh, you know, the bands from New Zealand on the Flying Nun uh, label. You know, I've seen like Pylon uh, recomm- uh, uh, comparisons, although Pylon, not necessarily jangly. But what I really like about this band is that they have that jangle rock influence and they marry it to this British folk sensibility. Mm-hmm. And it really comes from the vocals in this band. It reminds me a lot of Richard Thompson, which for those of you out there, of course, great singer-songwriter, start out in the band Fairport Convention, then worked with his wife, Linda Thompson, for a while. And when I listen to this record, it's like very zippy and quick, but the songs are really melodic. And again, they have this folky quality to them that I can imagine them being played half as fast on acoustic guitars, and it would be just as good. It also made me think about like R.E.M. when they worked with Joe Boyd 
who Joe Boyd was a British, he's an American, but he, he produced a lot of those great British folk records of the 60s, starting with Fairport Convention, and R.E.M. worked with him on Fables of the Reconstruction. This album doesn't sound like Fables of the Reconstruction, but I would say, like, it is like R.E.M. making a record in England with a British folk producer. Like, that is a pretty good way to describe it, but it just doesn't sound like Fables of the Reconstruction. So, if any of the stuff that I've just said is interesting to you, get this record. 26 minutes long, nine songs, really good songwriting, really zippy, great riffs, great vocals, really cool record. They're like, uh, they, they grew up like Joanna Gruesome, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. That, that, that was a cool band for a minute. Yeah. I hope the Tubs like have some legs because this record, this is their first full length album. Um, like I said, it was my favorite record to come out in January. And it just seems like, man, this is a really good record. I feel like their next record could be really great. I, so hopefully they explore more of that British folk side of what they do, because I really like that a lot. Yeah, I like. I, I, I appreciate you bringing this one up, because like just based on the names, like the new Tubbs, Dead Meat. I'm like thinking, okay, another shitty garage rock band. Cool. That's what they... I know, like the name kind of sets you up for that, or like an Idols type band. Yeah. But they're not really like that. They are again. See them on tour with Viagra Boys this fall. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, no. This is like, I mean, you know, in a way, they're kind of like Rolling Blackouts, Coastal Fever. Ah. There's the similar thing there. But again, I think the vocals and like the British folk influence, it takes it in a different direction than what a lot of these bands are like. And I feel like that's an element in this band's sound that could really be developed and really take them into a cool direction assuming this band could stay together like i really hope that happens yeah. and and even, uh, even better it's like the length of like two new Lil yachty songs so there you go but again you know not a lot of hip-hop and psychedelic rock exploration unfortunately on this record that is a negative hopefully <laughs> on the next album they can become the first band to combine hip-hop and psychedelia that would be amazing Thank you for listening to this episode of IndieCast. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box.